Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the leftist podcast dedicated to the reevaluation of your favorite crappy films. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. So, folks, we began Pulp Month uh, swinging on the vine with Tarzan. We uh, belted it out with Eric the Phantom. <laughs> we uh, crossed swords with Conan. And uh, finally here, we, uh, we are lurking in the shadows with our favorite Gotham Cape Crusader, uh, <laughs> yes. The Shadow. <laughs> yes, that's right, Lewis. Um, and actually, <laughs> it's rather appropriate that we're reviewing the movie The Shadow uh, in this podcast form because The Shadow first debuted in 1930 on the Detective Story Hour on radio. So we're bringing him back to his um, his natural his natural habitat home, I guess. Ah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the audio medium mm-hmm. uh, podcasts are the uh, radio of the twenty first century. Some will say his character is ninety years old as of today. Damn. That's wow. wild. Yeah, that is yeah. That's the oldest character. No, that's not true. Phantom obviously is yes. much older. Yes. <laughs> Phantom Phantom definitely predates Shadow, although there's some um, some heavy overlap. But um, yeah, we're reviewing the 1994 uh, film adaptation um, directed by Russell Mulche, Mulcahy. I have no idea. I just know that he directed uh, the first two Highlander films. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's another uh, music video guy. Yeah, he is another music video guy. And you kind of see it, but I, I don't know. I think he brings like the best of music video directing to this film. It totally makes sense. Um, music videos and in pulp stories, they they're one, they they. I won't say they're one and the same, but there's a lot of overlap. Sure. <laughs> one and the same. You heard it here, folks. One and the same. <laughs> um, yeah. So the the shadow is an interesting character. He um, he first originated on on radio, as we said, and then quickly thereafter he spread to um, obviously pulp stories, pulp magazines. Um, he's also appeared in comics and. I believe there were films, other like serial um, specials. Yeah, I think there were like at least five, mm. um, including this one. So four others, something like that. Yeah, there are. Uh, there were film shorts from thirty-one to thirty-two. So like right after he came out. Um, wow. And then one in thirty-seven, one in thirty-eight, one in forty, one in forty-six, one in fifty-eight, and then ninety-four. And apparently, Wikipedia tells me that Sam Raimi was going to direct a shadow film, which would have been incredible. Right, and then he made Dark Man. Right. Okay. Yeah. That. Yeah. Totally. You can see where the where the DNA went for that. Yeah, definitely a similar DNA. A, a little different, um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it would be a good companion film with this one for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this movie, we have Alec Baldwin as um, the Shadow and the Shadow's alter ego, Lamont Cranston. Um, we have John Lone um, as. <laughs> basically psychic genghis khan's great 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 (laughs) grandson amazing Um, we have penelope ann miller peter boyle ian mckellen tim curry jonathan winters sab shimono andrew andre gregory james hong max wright and al young those last few are um it's pretty crazy like the last five you just named um so sab shimono uh voiced monk guy how do you pronounce Gasto and Master Yu on Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
Andre Gregory is uh, Andre Gregory of My Dinner with Andre, mm. uh, the uh, classic film with Wallace Shawn where they just talk for like two hours. Hell yeah. Um, James Hong uh, was Lo Pan of course. in uh, <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. Um, Al y- Long was also in Big Trouble in Little China. He was one of the henchmen. Sure. Um, and then Max Wright was Alf's dad in the show Alf. I mean, he wasn't Alf's dad because Alf is an alien. He's right. a human being, but he's <laughs> a, his sort of adoptive father, Willie Tanner. So fucking wild. This yeah, movie. and I mean, Ian McKellen and Tim Curry. Um, Tim and Curry, Peter Boyle as well. I yeah, mean, it's, a, it's an insane cast. Yeah. Tim Curry doing an American accent, I might add, which is one of the creepiest things he's ever done. <laughs> it was very, It was very bizarre. It was very disorienting. Yeah, he's a good creep throughout this whole movie. Oh actually. yeah, he's great. He's great. Um, but yeah, this this movie it was made for forty million. Um, clearly, they wanted it to be some kind of summer blockbuster, um, aping the the um, the Batman movie that came out in eighty nine. I'm sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it only made forty eight million total. Oof, so um, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, not a flop, but by no means a success. Um, no. Tomato meter thirty five percent. Audience score forty four percent. So. This is like primo, uh, primo procon. It it's surprising though. I don't know. I think this movie's great. I don't it's great. know what those, I like, I, th- that forty four percent of people. I mean, that's crazy to me. We were lamenting the fact um, off off mic um, a couple times about how Pulp Month was shaping up to be like Mobster Month again. Um, but this Pulp Month had a better batting average, I think, because we we very much enjoyed Phantom. We very much enjoyed. Um, one of the Conans, and we enjoyed this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although we kind of skewed the average because we added another film in there. <laughs> we did five as opposed to four. <laughs> we're, but we're also going to expunge um, the new Conan from the Annals of History. So it, yeah, it, that's it, fair. It's justified. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I just uh, at this at this point, I had just uh, stopped editing it like uh fairly recently and uh, it's a good episode folks but yes. jesus i don't want to ever think about that movie ever again <laughs> definitely not yeah so i don't remember seeing this movie when it came out um i remember seeing the phantom mm-hmm. um which is based on pulp comic books mm-hmm. starring billy zane yes um came out right around the same time i saw that in theaters i remember seeing that with my friends zach and alex in theaters and their dad because we were too young to see it by ourselves uh <laughs> there were um actually in the in the early 90s they there was kind of like that trend of trying to reboot the pulp um the pulp movie because we and we've touched on this before but like there are other ones in addition to the phantom like there was dick tracy um You're right zorro the Rocketeer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, by all accounts, I've, I've never seen Rocketeer, but apparently it's it's really good. Kind of more in the vein of um, The Shadow than the, than Dick Tracy. And <laughs> yeah, I've seen it a few times. Um, it's good. Um, it's the same director as the first Captain America movie, and the third Jurassic Park movie, mm. uh, and the uh, Benicio del Toro Wolfman remake. Uh, all the same director. Uh, his name is Joe Johnston. That's his name. Right. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, Joe Johnston, he did the Captain America. That's what I just said. Yeah. Did you just... I'm sorry. I, I was reading something for the, the Wikipedia. Sorry. <laughs> we might want to leave this in. This is... That's good. This is... It's good, yeah. Good content, folks. This is how the sausage mm-hmm. gets made. This um, is all for you, folks. All for you. 
Um, yeah, had you had you ever read the Shadow stories? Did you or did you ever read the comics or anything? Um, no, no, I was aware that there were comics, mm-hmm. um, and I actually I, that's what I thought he originated. Um, but that's more the Phantom originated in comics, whereas right. the Shadow did originate in like serialized media. Yeah, um, I had thought that the the stories came first, but um, apparently the the radio show did debut did precede um the print stories by about a year because the detective story our radio show started with the shadow started in um july july 31st 1930 and then the first print story the living shadow was published in april 1st 31 were they both written by walter b gibson yes did he so he created the character even for radio um i'm yeah created by walter b gibson is, yeah. Is okay. All, yeah. All Interesting. Um, but yeah, I had I have read a couple of the pulp stories. I have, God knows where at this point, but some, um, like a magazine sized, um, I guess like a pulp magazine, um, soft cover oh. with a uh, with a number of the stories. Um, you can definitely see how like pulp action heroes, the evolution of them, um, how they became superheroes, and that's kind of a thing that we've touched on all month. Um, from the origins of like basically modern day imperialism with some like g whiz flashbang science like aesthetic um like with tarzan like tarzan touched on like ideas of like evolution and, and phrenology and all that crazy bullshit um and then it got more refined i think in elements of like urban crime fighting um like the shadow which led directly of course to superman and batman who came out in 38 and 39 um respectively um, but obviously the, the Batman DNA is, is very prominent with the shadow, um, in, in all incarnations, I, I think. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Lamont Cranston, Bruce Wayne are both, mm-hmm. um, aristocrats. Um, they have butlers, uh, they have, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later. They have crime fighting teams. Yep. Um, they obviously have similar costumes, um they both work out of ostensibly manhattan the shadow at least in the film version it is manhattan and obviously gotham is a a substitute yeah and uh, the whole gothic um attire and just like the the dripping brooding dark atmosphere is um is that i i think that main inspiration for that is definitely um the phantom of the opera um I mean, Zaro was another was another contributor to that, right. but the mm. the Phantom definitely predated all of this. Um, so actually, with the, if you think about it, like the I don't know if you planned it this way, but like the, the evolution, um, and the progression, <laughs> the progression of this month, I, I would say stylistically mirrored the progression of the pulp hero as it transformed into the contemporary um, superhero. Yeah, I'm just gonna nice. say that I did I did Good plan job. it that way. Good I job didn't at all, Good job. but. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hypnotize you all to think that I did just like the shadow does. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> you know, and also Batman used guns in his original iteration, mm-hmm. just like the shadow does. I think two pistols at that. It was just one pistol. He kept it one, in like just a, breast, one. Okay. a breast holster, but very. I mean, that's just splitting hairs at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a review here by Derek Adams of Time Out London. Uh, Adams writes, can the original haunted superhero of the 30s and 40s connect with a modern audience? Probably not. Despite classy production values, Mulkey's, I guess that's how you pronounce it, attempt to emulate the somber appeal of Tim Burton's Batman movie is too episodic, sketchy, and uneven. 
Hiding his true identity beneath a cloak of invisibility, the Shadow is a self-appointed crime fighter haunted by a murky past as a drug dealer in the East. Yes, that is amazing. We'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) I have a a lot of words about that. (laughs) Um, So Adams continues here. Now redeemed, he uses his supernatural powers to thwart the plans of Oriental villain Siwa Khan, who through mind control has forced Professor Lane to create a... pseudo-atomic bomb. Uh, Professor Lane is uh, Ian McKellen's character. Mm. Um, The Shadow's suave alter ego, playboy Lamont Cranston, finds time to romance Lane's daughter Margot. Baldwin's low-key performance lacks charisma. Lone alternates between lip-smacking villainy and camp humor. And Miller is chiefly a clothes horse for a series of slinky 30s rocks. Um, That isn't untrue, but all that is why (laughs) this movie rocks. Yeah, I mean... I think there's a decent amount of things that are untrue. I I, I do think uh, the character of Margot Lane does a lot more than just wear slinky 30s frocks. Like, obviously she does that, but yeah. um, she has an integral role to the plot of this film. Um, I don't know. I don't think the Orientalism is, like, that bad. It could be so much worse. Yeah, it's it's not awful. Um, certainly there, and certainly in keeping with the genre conventions. I mean, that's a thin... Ex- a pretty pretty thin excuse but it's it's true to the to the origins um yeah it all things considered it's not um it's not what it could have been um by either 30s standards or the standards of 1994 right i mean considering it's 1994 this movie could have been atrocious mm-hmm. in terms of its racial politics but i don't know how they pulled it off honestly um and, you know, I don't agree with Adams where he says it's too episodic. And, you know, even if it is, it's like it's a fucking pulp like story. What's wrong with that? I was actually kind of struck by that because like it, it, it distinctly isn't episodic um, yeah. compared to, I don't know, compared to the old the old whipping horse like Mar- and the MCU. Um, this is not an episodic <laughs> movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, fucking Avengers Endgame is way more episodic than, like, this movie. That's for sure. Uh, I don't think Derek Adams was thinking of that in 1994. Well, yeah, who cares? <laughs> but uh, Derek Adams probably loves Avengers Endgame right now, unless yes. he's dead. I don't know how old he is, but <laughs> Oh, man, cares? yeah. We'll have, to, we'll have to read his mind using our, um, yeah. our magic powers. <laughs> that we learned in Tibet, yeah. uh, just like uh, Lamont Cranston did. Um, so I guess, so either, uh, yeah, maybe we should talk about the, uh, the loathsome content or we can just go into the story. I think we already kind of, kind of covered that. We, we just already hit on it, that it, it does have like some yellow peril orientalism. Um, but it isn't as bad as it frankly should be given, given the context. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say the worst example of it is just like, uh, Siwa Khan's like Mongol, um, you know, horde that he has employed. Like, he does also employ like his 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 general, like his lead, um, like his captain of the guard. I guess is a white dude, the bald oh, guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it's like standard Hollywood like racism. It, it's it's not. And in terms of like Orientalism, I would even say like Big Trouble in Little China is worse than like this film mm-hmm. in in terms of you know what's on display. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like, I don't know like long fingernail clacking. You know, uh, like well there Fu is Manchu. Yeah, there but is, that but well that's 
it's that's why it's transgressive actually because yes. it's it's Lamont Cranston who yes. is the long fingernailed Fu Manchu uh, opium den warlord. The film's opening was actually fascinating. Um, I guess we can just use use that yeah. to segue right into it. But like, I think so. So we we open up in Tibet, um, and it's it's like the the opium den of of a crime lord. Um, and all we see are his his long, um, extravagant, like decadent nails as he as he feeds meat to a pet tiger or something. Um, I think it's a chow chow dog. I thought I thought it was okay. It might be a dog, but like we only see its face and it's like very yeah. close up and like most of its body is segmented off by the the limits of the frame. It is the color of a tiger, like it is kind of an orange, but I'm pretty sure it's a chow chow. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, and then James Wong comes in, um, and he's he's murdered in cold blood um, by by this mysterious figure's henchman, um, and he he does the classic villain thing where like uh, James 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 Hong is like holding one of his other henchmen with a knife, and he's like, you can't kill, you can't shoot around me, or you can't shoot around your friend. You'll 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 hit him, and you won't kill me. Right. And the guy's like, oh, I don't care. Shoot through them both. <laughs> and then his, his guards do that and he's like ah it, and then cut smash like smash cut to his face it's alec baldwin basically playing yeah. himself in real life today mm. <laughs> yeah yeah um and it should yeah it should be uh mentioned that alec baldwin um is terrible in real life like is a terrible person um, yeah. We all might know him as just this this guy who parodies Donald Trump on SNL, um, but basically he's ruined every one of his relationships because he's an abusive piece of shit. Um, he like called his eleven year old daughter like a, a rude pig girl or something like crazy. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, I mean, that. Yes, I think that was his his child with Kim Basinger, um, and like, yeah, I mean, I don't know how he's married now. I mean, it's it, it won't last long. So yeah, when we when we're introduced to Cranston. Um, he's like this underworld figure, um, this underworld like kingpin. He's he's running opium dens. He he apparently slaughters random Tibetan villages for fun. Right. Mm-hmm. We learn later. Um, he just like leads raiding parties and just like randomly like burns, pillages, and kills innocent Tibetans for right. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean the only kind of. Um exposition we get later is that he fought in a war and it was probably world, world war one yeah right i mean it makes sense because it's like in the 30s when he's in tibet so mm-hmm. world war one um and then he uh i don't know got ptsd or something goes to tibet and then just becomes a warlord uh i appreciate that they don't really explain it i don't care yeah. like yeah, it's just no. i don't know i'm fine with it it is an origin story um and again thank you mcu um, we we do not spend too much time on his origin. No, first fifteen minutes, if that. Yep. Honestly, um, yeah. So then after, um, he kills um Lopan from uh Big Trouble in Little China. Um, he gets abducted. He gets brought mm-hmm. to a temple. Um, and actually, it looks like it's just like um a field and a mountain range and then they're like oh uh your mind is too clouded and then he they're like look um and he sees this gigantic temple appear um it has like a cool like cobra head entrance made of gold yes very very classic pulpy like that that would be one of the illustrations within like my my 
magazine that I have of the, of the, of the shadow stories. Right. Yeah. And then he basically meets like the Dalai Lama. Um, he's not called the Dalai Lama, but he looks like the Dalai Lama. Essentially. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it's a Tibet, so it makes sense. Yeah. And then he teaches him how to be the shadow basically, or he, he wants him to change his ways. Yeah. It, he just like, I, I, I guess the idea is that, that this like spiritual figure sees this great villain in his, in his lands in his country um killing innocent people so he he converts him he um he puts him through the ringer he he trains him mentally and physically and this is all told in like a throwaway um like text it's like, oh, like yeah. we don't actually see that we, yeah, we don't actually see it honestly good um no i was really happy we didn't see <laughs> there's no reason we've seen training montages we don't need another one yeah uh and there there is one interesting thing that we do see um it's this knife that flies around and has a, an impressively not awful CGI face on the, on the yeah. panel. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it hisses at Laurent Cranston and like it, it tries to stab him and just flies around. It's, it's so goofy. It's like this flying knife that has face and like its handle can unfurl a little bit and little little legs come out so it can crawl around like right. a spider. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it comes back later. That, that's why I'm explaining it. But um. It's it's just it's bizarre and it, it's very like that is pulp like I I can hear like the purple prosy description of um <laughs> like like if that was written about in 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 prose yeah yeah it's uh it's pretty interesting I mean that's really the only section of a training montage we get is when like the, the Tibetan Dalai Lama guy like throws the knife at him and he's like oh you have to try and control the knife something 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 that's referenced later uh when we see the knife again but it just cuts to uh text scroll text Mm -hmm. that says seven years later training he becomes a shadow smash cut to uh a bridge uh i think it might be even the brooklyn bridge um one of those famous bridges in new york i don't know uh (laughs) they're all the same it's all the same you've seen before in film (laughs) yeah exactly um at night you know there's a lot of like fog um and these and, gangsters in a lot of shadows. Oh, yes. Um, and there's these three gangsters, and they have an Asian American. Um, I think he's a doctor or a scientist. Yeah, he's a professor um, at the university. Yes, that's right. Um, they have him with uh, you know concrete shoes on because he looked down an alleyway and saw like a gang killing or something. Yes. Um, so they're gonna throw him uh, over the bridge. And then, um, just as they're about to, we hear this laugh, which is classic shadow stuff. Um, this 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 menacing cackle that seems to come from everywhere at once. And they're looking around, and they start shooting their guns just randomly. They can't hit anything. The leader whips out a Tommy gun. He empties it. He, just, he shoots up the whole bridge. Everyone's ducking. Um, and then when the gun's going click, 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 because it's empty, um, this fist appears out of midair and punches him and like kind of half-materializes away. Um, and that's our introduction to the shadow. He he can teleport, kind of. He, he can cloak himself in shadows. He can become invisible. Um, it's kind of a kind of similar to the way Nightcrawler fights in the Brian Singer X Men. Yeah, actually, it is pretty similar to that. I was specifically to that, actually, that's the only one that he, that he appears in. Um, but that that well, opening no, Nightcrawler appears in the other X Men, the more recent X Men films. Right. The, he, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the fight in the, um, the opening fight in the white house and next. Yeah. In the white house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty similar to that. Um, yeah. And you know, the, the effects aren't really that hokey. Um, 
all around pretty decent effects. Um, like we said, the the knife uh, with the head, the the shadow uh, invisibility stuff, pretty decent. I honestly think the um, it wasn't a matte painting, but like the backdrop at on the edge of the um on on the 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 farthest like the back of the bridge set looked right. faker than the shadows <laughs> CGI warping. It, it looked pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there are miniatures. I think there's a lot of miniatures in this movie. Mm, that makes um, sense. Especially like the sweeping shots of the Manhattan skyline. I think that's yeah. all miniatures. I, I, I and, and there's, of course, matte paintings as well. Um, but yeah, it's just overall pretty good um, practical effects. Of course, you know, there's some CGI, but it's not as bad as like the CGI in like Spawn. Do you remember that CGI, like for Escape oh, yes. and then for Malibolgia and then all that shit? Oh, yes. I remember that. <laughs> the <laughs> Violator and all. Yeah. Terrible CGI. Amazing CGI. Um, <laughs> if if we ever do like s- straight up superhero month, although we've done a bunch of superhero films, we should do Spawn soon. Yeah. Yeah. I have. That's well, that's another theme month. So uh, keep listening, folks. <laughs> We're not going to do it anytime soon, but maybe sometime this year. <laughs> um. So yeah, what what happens? The the shadow saves um, the professor from the mob. He um, and he's like, your your life belongs to me now because I saved it. Right. Um, and he he's kind of um, intimidated into joining the shadow secret society, and he gets a little friendship ring um, <laughs> as, as to prove it. Yeah. Um, and here we also meet um, the shadows. The closest thing he has to a sidekick, I guess, um, the cabbie. Right, yeah, uh, Peter Boyle's yep. uh, uh, reprising his role from the film Taxi Driver as a cabbie. Um, yes. Yeah, his yes. name is Mo. Mo um, Shrevnitz. And I think that's that character is from the original stories, too. He's one of the most frequently mentioned of the Shadows um, associates. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, he doesn't do much in this movie. He just drives a cab. Um, yeah. And, like, the Shadow speaks through him also. Like, mm-hmm. when... Um, the um, professors in the in the passenger seat, shadows in the back seat, and uh, Peter Boyle's uh, in the driver's seat. Like you don't see the shadow's face because he has um, like a scarf, a red scarf around his face. Um, but he's obviously talking. But also, like Peter Boyle is like moving his mouth, and his voice is going through him. Right. Um, I think he does that once or twice in the movie. Yeah, and that's um, that's one of the interesting aspects of this character. Um, to give it the old pro con spin. Um, the shadow has like a network of associates and um to the best of my recollection in the stories they're described more as like full-on partners who have an e- like not an equal say in the in the organization because the shadow is obviously the leader right but um but it, it, there's a lot of parody there there's a lot of um there's a lot of cooperation and it's more of a communal crime fighting thing uh, which is nice because the this much of the image of um of the stereotypical like American vigilante or crime fighter. It's the singular figure against the world. Like think of death wish, one of those movies that we Mm. did, uh, the single, the single figure holding back the tide, which is a extremely reactionary and authoritarian, um, cliche or, or archetype. But, um, this idea of like this community working in tandem together, um, for the prevention of, of crime or fighting evil, just to keep it more abstract. Um, that's certainly more, more, it's not an outright leftist archetype, but it, it's m- much more so than um, than things like I don't know, like like Dick Tracy, who works on his own primarily. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. It 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 leans left for sure. Um, 
And yeah, we do see his group help him towards the end of the film. I mean, mostly mm-hmm. they just pass messages. They're not like fighting with him or anything like that. Yeah, I think um again in the stories that it's been a long time since I've read any, read any of them, but I think some of them do get into scuffles like they they of course the action revolves around the shadow primarily. Um but like I I, I do think they they do more proactive things um along with him. It's just um it's not just like basically doing like chores for him right you're right yeah that's kind of what it is in the film at least um he has like a cool pneumatic tube system throughout the city yes Uh, he can pass messages that also have invisible ink on them Mm -hmm. around um and fun fact uh there used to be pneumatic tube systems throughout um several major cities in um europe and america uh to deliver the mail in the uh interesting 19th century yeah mm-hmm. and uh banks do those things when you go to the drive up yep mm-hmm. yep um some hospitals still have pneumatic tube systems to to pass things around yeah um i worked at movie theaters they generally have them if like mm-hmm. the manager's office is on a different level than the box office you can like send the money down and or up in a pneumatic tube that's cool yeah cool stuff um the shadow also has um he has like this underground layer i think he calls it the sanctum um it's like a you it has like a secret entrance presumably many um like you pull a brick out or you pull a little thing on a iron fire escape and then the bricks in the wall uh retract and he goes down very very much like the bat cave of course Mm -hmm. yeah i wish we saw more of it like we only get maybe two scenes in Mm -hmm. it um, one is a longer scene where he meets up with uh, Suwa Khan, but other than that, you just get some fleeting glimpses of it. I guess, yeah, the, in, in right around this time in the movie, after um, the Shadow inducts the professor into his group, uh, is when we meet Suwa Khan. Um, so we we get this kind of cold open to to the New York Natural History Museum. Yeah, the Museum of Natural History in New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's it's like late at night and um there's a guard and there's like a an adjunct professor or whatever and they call the museum head curator down. maybe yeah, yeah. one uh, of them is ca- played by max uh, berger who is uh, alf's dad max Wright. his his character's name is berger right which i don't even remember that name being uttered but um yeah, yeah. so alf's dad and he's like the dumb one who's like oh what, what's this what's this big crate where'd this come from Ooh. um yeah, and it's like this solid silver um, sarcophagus, and it's it's the sarcophagus of Genghis Khan. Yeah, Temujin, um, as they yes, say. Temujin. Uh, and, um, and then uh, Max writes like, "Who's Temujin? I don't know that name." <laughs> um, and they, there's no return address other than like Tibet or something. So like, oh fuck, what, what, yeah, what yeah. are we gonna do? <laughs> they go to make a call. Um, and Berger's like, uh, like, oh, I'll go with you. I'm, I'm scared to be to be left alone with this sarcophagus. And then the security guard, um, he's just hanging out. And then suddenly the coffin bursts open, and <laughs> Shoah Khan steps out, and he's wearing like this this regalia, like this ornate battle armor with like a, a sword on his side. Um, and he has psychic, psychic shadow powers too. Yeah, yeah, he can do uh, telekinesis um, and uh, mind control. Mm-hmm. And uh, he controls the uh, security guard's mind. Actually, it's great. So the security guard sees him and says, uh, sir, we're closed. 
um he's the fail son of the yeah, movie Every, i think he everyone is. else is pretty competent mm-hmm. yeah no i mean when you say we're close to like a dude in like just full mongolian like battle armor <laughs> yes. um and then he also just gets murked um the, mm-hmm. the siwa khan uh makes him put his gun to his head and he blows his own brains out um and, and uh, then uh siwa khan just leaves and goes on the rest of his adventure yeah, he um he just takes off and he he slips away into the night. Um I guess we also meet right around this time in the movie um Lamont Cranston's love interest Margot Lane, right? Who um mm. who is the daughter of Ian McKellen's character, um Dr. Dr. Lane, who yeah. is Reinhardt like, Lane. Yeah. He's like the stereotypical um absent-minded professor. He he's brilliant. He he's a brilliant physicist, but he 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 forgets what color green is and he confuses it with red right mm. i was wondering if that would just be like a colorblind thing but i think it's yeah. more like he just doesn't know the names of colors or something which is not not even know the names because this becomes a plot thing later on he he confuses them specifically yeah, right <laughs> in, in, in in a life or death situation later at the end of the movie yeah. he confuses the colors red and green uh fortunately it doesn't matter because he he was wrong um but yeah, I, I thought it was going to be a colorblind thing because that's one of the most common colorblinds. Right, um, right. Those are the common colorblindness. Yeah, weird. I mean, Ian McKellen kind of does nothing in this movie. He has maybe five lines. Yeah, he he's there to like be the science figure and to to give um, Margot a little more to do. I think. I mean, he's a, it's he's a plot device more or less. Yeah, more so than Margot is for sure. Um, oh yeah. Well. We also meet um, Farley Claymore, who's the Tim Curry character, again, yes. doing an American accent, which is unsettling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his Tim Curry, like, British accent comes through once in a while. It's mm. it's a decent uh, American accent, but, you know, it's it has that Tim Curry flavor to it. Oh, it's not bad, for sure. It's just, like, he opens his mouth, and it, it's not what he used to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so they, like... What are they creating? Like, what is? What are they inventing? What's? Oh God! He, there's just some I don't generic movie thing, p- generic, um, period appropriate movie thing, that has that can be turned into an atomic bomb. Right. Hmm. Uh. Yeah. Tim Curry's character is creating like some kind of sphere. Beryllium sphere. The beryllium sphere. Right. And then Ian McKellen. I don't know. He's doing some atomic stuff. I honestly do not remember. Well, the idea is Ian McKellen is the true brilliance behind it, and Tim Curry is the suck up toady who's taking who who wants to take credit for it um eventually it's revealed that he he willingly joins shiwakan um because he he wants like power and he wants to he of, of course he's in love with margo margo too mm-hmm. um he right. he he joins with shiwakan out of his free will because he's he's a skeevy douchebag so yeah uh lamont cranston's uncle who is uh wainwright barth he's like he's a chief of police i think yeah he he's kind of um the commissioner gordon slash like j jonah jameson hybrid character yeah um because the the shadow of even though he hunts down criminals and stuff and, and fights evil he he has an adversarial relationship with the police which which is a batman thing of course um kind of kind of this fraught relationship with the institutionalized law enforcement mm-hmm. but here it's complicated because the shadow's uncle 
mm-hmm. is the chief of police. Um, and uh, we're introduced to them in a club uh, setting similar to like, you know, the, the Cotton Club um, in, in Manhattan. It's called the, the Cobalt Club, which was a nice, right. yes. a nice name. It was it was really cool. And uh, all, all the waiters were wearing like Cobalt jackets. It was very mm-hmm. theme and on point. I could, yeah. I could see that in a comic. They also meet Margot Lane here, um, who has some kind of telepathy. Um, she can read minds. Yeah, she has like a, a less developed version of what Lamont Cranston has, his, his psychic intuition. Mm-hmm. um she she isn't trained in it like like he was but like the his uncle mentions like oh that that's the weird girl she hears voices stay away from her um, right and they go on a they go on a date and he shows off by speaking mandarin which i'm sure alec baldwin butchers because they go to a <laughs> chinese restaurant <laughs> um and and half their conversation like they, they finish each other's sentences they they say what the other one is thinking um and i, I thought that was funny because like real life alec baldwin like if if a prospective partner was like i I know what you're thinking i can hear your thoughts he he would probably like shit himself he just wouldn't (laughs) want people to know what he's thinking about women all the time or he would think that like he can actually like you know finish people's sentences that like he has that kind of relationship with people but there's like no way he has that relationship with like a single human being on this planet (laughs) yes um they go on a date but then he 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 drops her off and he um as he's driving away with mo he's like i can never see her again like it's too dangerous for her and for me blah 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 blah, blah. um but then uh shua khan abducts well hypnotizes and abducts her father right mm-hmm. yes um does he introduce himself to the shadow before that even or yes after? you're right yeah you're right i skipped that part um he Is ambushes he- yeah, in his lair, in the shadows lair, uh, Khan just like shows up randomly, and they have a conversation. And I think this is when we learn that Khan is also trained by like that Tibetan Dalai Lama character. Yeah, and he killed him with with the right. crazy the crazy weirdo skull baby face. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, and this is pretty cool in the scene. I, oh yeah um Khan like throws like a coin at, at uh the shadow and the shadow like there's like a little foot pedal and that opens yes. up a compartment on a pillar that has like a small little derringer yeah. he shoots the coin midair but then he catches it and by the time he looks back up again Shua Khan's gone right mm-hmm. um and the coin is important because it's like some metal that's like some mythical metal I I could not pay attention. I could, I could not like follow <laughs> the the science babble, the science techno babble of that scene. But um, the shadow brings it to the professor that he saved earlier to get to get it analyzed. Um, and I I th- I think it's like it's the metal that the ancient like ancient peoples thought was made up the universe. Right. But in reality, it's it's some kind of element, some kind of new element that if you could. If, if if you could split the atom, it would cause an, atom, an atomic explosion. Right. Yeah. Um, he says that if you use it, it could create an implosive, explosive submolecular device. Hell yes. <laughs> and then he draws on this blackboard. First, we don't see him drawing. We just see him drawing. Like it's a perspective as if we're looking at at um doc the doctor. Um, what's his character's name? Roy. 
Roy Tam, um, and he's we just see him like drawing frantically on this blackboard, and then like it cuts to the blackboard, and it looks like a child's drawing of like yes. a, just a circle, like with some lines in it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so Wikipedia is telling me that um, in the movie they call it bronzium. Yes. Um, which in real life is an impure form of uranium. Oh, um, okay. which you should not touch with your bare hands. So it's funny that <laughs> the shadow just grabbed it. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Literally, literally the pi- the picture, the main picture in Wikipedia is like these thick, I, I assume like lead lined gloves holding a piece of uranium. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. they just, they just have it in their hands. They're just tossing it around, just uh, mm-hmm. drawing pictures of it on blackboards. Well, um, you know, it's the thirties. There was like tar and everything you ate. So, right. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh you know it's like uh john wayne dying of uh cancer because the their radiation were from where he filmed the genghis khan movie to tie this all together oh shit yeah yeah somewhere in like nevada where they did uh atomic testing and like everybody on that set uh died of cancer <laughs> that's the revenge of genghis khan for yeah. <laughs> that's like <laughs> you know like montezuma's revenge this is khan's revenge <laughs> Oh yeah, amazing. Um, but yeah, f- so from here, I think this is when Ian McKellen's character gets abducted. Um, he's looking at like a, he's looking at a billboard that's like one of those old timey billboards. I don't know if they ever existed, but like where they like the billboard itself like smokes, like it's a guy smoking and like smokes actually coming out of the guy's mouth. Um, they they exist in the imagination of pulp writers, which is the important part. Yeah. Yeah, it's very similar to um, like the Great Gatsby, like the, the yep. eyeballs on the the billboard for the optometrist mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So he, as Ian McKellen's being led away by Shuriken's henchmen, the shadow intervenes, and we get a pretty decent action scene. Um, shadow fights against I don't know, probably like six or seven um, Mongol. They have swords and repeating crossbows, and they they try to kill Shadow. Um, shadow does his teleportation thing but the lead henchman um the the only white guy in the group he grabs a flashlight and he shines it on the shadow which like pins him to the wall and then they literally pin him to the wall with crossbow bolts Mm -hmm. yeah i'm not sure if it like pins him to the wall they're just like they're able to see his shadow on the wall like i didn't really understand what the flashlight did exactly but they were able to see an outline of the shadow basically you know what it is um, in the in the text that glosses over the training montage. Um, we're told that he can make everything about him invisible except for his shadow. That's the only thing he can't uh, hide. Okay, so they so they see his shadow then when they shine a light on him, gotcha. and then they can triangulate where his body would be based on where his shadow is. Right. Yeah. So they actually they do wound. So that's pretty. Him that's as pretty well. clever, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they do it later. Well, um, Tim Curry's character does it later. We can talk about that too. The important part is that um, even though some of the henchmen are dispatched, um, they do get away with with Doctor Ian McKellen, and who, and he also takes like his brilliant what the fuck ever it is. Yeah, brilliant sphere. Yeah, um, the, the doodad that will make the bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because the uh, Sewer Khan, he just wants to make a big bomb to kill a lot of people, and then oh, and then like do it in other cities, right? Doesn't he say at one point he wants to, like oh to have to get a ransom right so he wants to like put bombs in major cities across the globe and then right. um reap some kind of ransom from that and actually the ransom that he, he he sets out in this one is ridiculous it's like 
billions of dollars and i was like damn billions of dollars in the 40s holy shit in the 30s right right yeah, yeah. i mean that's like i don't know like the gdp of every country at that point put together well the idea is he want he wants to fulfill what his ancestors started he wants right. to he wants to take over the entire earth as opposed to just the segment that genghis Khan did mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely um so then and then he also Shubakan goes on to hypnotize Mar- Margot, and he tells her to kill the shadow, um, which means she goes to Lamont Cranston's house and tries to kill him, um, but fails. Yeah, Shubakan gives her like these cool guns too. Well, he has one gun and she has the other. It I looked it up on Internet Movie Firearm Database. It is a Remington Rolling Block pistol. Um, a Rolling Rock pistol. <laughs> I know that's what I thought too. Um, and, uh, yeah, she shoots like a mirror and mm-hmm. then, uh, he disarms her and she undoes gets out of the trance. Hit- yeah. He, und- yeah. She, he undoes the trance somehow. Um, and then she knows that he's the shadow from then on basically. Yeah. And, uh, this sets up their dynamic and I thought their relationship, it, I mean, there's not a lot to go on, but, um, it was, it was decently interesting. Um, like she, she's really invested, and she's all gung ho about being his partner, uh, like like literally like his crime fighting partner, not like his his love interest right. to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, no, it's too dangerous for you, too dangerous for you, and he tries to put her off, but her persistence wears out, wears him out, um, and he he tries to like dissuade her by like by like like telling her like forget about me like you, you'll you'll never see me again you never met me blah 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 and she's like what like are you drunk like what's wrong with you and whenever uh lamont cranston does his shadow thing um his eyes turn all black right and he gets a nose prosthetic on his face um which is very accurate to like the traditional drawing of the shadow yeah no it's it was pretty cool um it's very angular um we see that transformation happen at least like once um, when he's in the the back seat of um, Moe's cab. Um, but in, in general, like the costume's great. I mean, you know, he's got oh, his yeah. um, fedora, the the cloak, mm-hmm. um, the the two, the two pistols, and those pistols. Again, I looked this up on Internet <laughs> Movie Firearm Database. Um, these were custom made for the film, actually, by the manufacturer which is uh, L.A.R. Manufacturing, Inc. Um, They are two uh, WinMag L.A.R. Grizzly pistols, uh, which were called Silver Heat. And the shadow, of course, has his red scarf that he wears over his face um, to hide hide his mouth and everything. Uh, This this is a funny anecdote from the time I was reading these stories. Um, When I was younger, like when I was a kid, I was obsessed with being ambidextrous for some reason. Um, I, I thought it was cool, and I thought, like, oh, you know, if my, my right arm ever gets cut off, I'll have my left arm um, as a backup. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was awesome that the shadow had um, had two guns, because, like, oh, he has one for each hand. It's, it's, it's balanced. It's even. Um, and his whole outfit was, like, very symmetrical, and I thought that was cool. Um, but he wore a ring on one figure. Oh, finger, it's only on one. It's not, which throws oh. off the, the symmetry of his whole look. <laughs> and that pissed me off. Oh my God. <laughs> um, in the ring is like what he uses to, what member, what the members of his, um, his group use to show each other that, that they're, they're allies. Right. I like how you said that you were 
obsessed with being ambidextrous as in the past tense because uh your old mouse your old computer mouse in your house uh as as late as maybe like what 2013 yes. 2014 you switched which one was like the primary button <laughs> so you had to use like your other hand like you had to use your left hand i think yeah and when you develop carpal tunnel in your right hand um in a few years i will develop it in both hands many years from now <laughs> <laughs> it pissed me off so much when i was on your computer <laughs> yes um i guess that this is a good little this is a good little intro to my my thesis on this movie um the the shed is basically like the ideal incel hero like the ideal like nerdy nerdy teen boy incel hero more so than the other pulp heroes um because like we have tarzan we have conan who are um they're like jocks they're like the the shads um they rely they're not dumb and they have like cool weirdo nerd shit but like they rely primarily on their strength and their ferocity, whereas um, figures like the Phantom and figures like the Shadow, um, they're stealthy and they have like stuff like that. And, and the idea of like using stealth and relying on sneaking, um, it definitely appeals to nerdy boys. Like, be because like it, it's cool and badass and it's kind of physical, but you're not like a huge buff guy, right? Mm-hmm. But I would say like the Phantom as in Eric the Phantom from Phantom of the Opera is more like the incel version, whereas yes. I feel like Lamont Cranston's more like the Valsel version. Like, I don't even think he tries to have there sex in, in this movie with um, yes. Margot Lane. Um, and I don't know what the stories are like, but it doesn't. he doesn't have, like, that kind of energy. He, like, doesn't have, like, a sexual bravado to him. He's just like, oh, I live in this giant, like, mansion in the middle of, like, Manhattan, and I just yes. don't care. I'm not, like, a bachelor as much as, like, I just don't give a shit about, like, having sex ever. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's frigid more than anything. Um which is which the same could be said of Batman. Although the way I describe Batman is um um he's an incel who thinks he's Volcel. Mm. So it it doesn't matter and it kind of cancels itself out. <laughs> but that's that's my summation of Batman. So what happens next? Um from here. Oh, there is a cool um like I think this is maybe one of the only dream sequences in the film, but there's the This part's uh, batshit. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Um, so uh, Lamont Cranston is looking in a mirror after he puts Margot Lane to sleep after she's been hypnotized, after she tries to assassinate him. Um, and he he's looking in this mirror, and there's like, looks like a pockmark on his cheek. Um, mm-hmm. And he like puts his finger into it, and then like he puts his whole hand into his face, more or less. And he like just like yes. roots around in there. And then he takes his face off very much like Mission Impossible style. And yep. he's, he turns into Siwa Khan and then Lamont Cranston wakes up. It was all a dream. Um, but like this like body horror Mission Impossible mask shit was like wild. It just it was, came it was out great. of nowhere. <laughs> yes. Um, and then in the morning he goes to Margot and he's like, oh, what did you dream about? And she's like, oh. I dreamed I was on a beach and like the 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 waves lapped at lapped at my toes and my skin was cool and warm at yes. the same time and it was beautiful like a and and the, the trees were swaying in the breeze. She's like, "How about you? What did you dream about?" He's like, "I dreamed that I was not myself and I ripped my skin off to find yeah. that out." Yes, yeah, it was incredible. And that's like that's big balsa energy. That's right the balsa. Like, yeah, he doesn't get like energy. the cues where she's like, "I think you're cool. I want to have sex with you." He's just like, "You want to hear about my crazy dream? I ripped my face off." 
And she drops. She comes on to him pretty hard. She's yeah. like, "Oh, you don't have you don't have to leave. Like when I when I get changed. Oh, that's stay. right. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Hmm. Well, I guess I'll just turn around then." <laughs> just <laughs> it it is it is heavy Batman like aggressively not getting the hint. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of um, like detective comics from like this era and like the 30 and the 40s as well that um, have big Valsal energy. Um, mm-hmm. Philip Marlowe is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I read, um, I think it was The Long Goodbye. I can't remember which one I read um, more Did he recently. Write, uh, the Killer Inside Me? Uh, no, that's Thompson. Um, sure. I forget Thompson's first name, but that's Thompson. Um, he also wrote The Getaway, which is a uh, a movie that uh, Alec Baldwin was in with his wife Kim Basinger at the time, which is a remake mm-hmm. of a Steve McQueen movie. Actually, okay, The Getaway. Um, that's yeah, that's that's Thompson. Forget his first name, um, but yeah, um, the uh, Philip Marlowe uh, stories. Um, he's like a big Volsell. Like everybody. Nice every single woman even some men like come on to him in the stories and he's like no i don't do that i don't have sex it's not me (laughs) i mean the psychology of costumed or themed crime fighting has has not been unremarked upon i mean that that like watchman is like very big parts of watchman about that Mm -hmm. um and yeah there's definitely something to that for sure um again to go back to the the main arguably like the 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 character that that defines our age right now like batman um the idea of like being a kid and playing dress up and going outside and fighting bad guys and then you come home to your your cool secret cave underneath underneath the house like that's some there's some psychology going on there in the way that like (laughs) people people cling to that and and really build it up a lot um i'm I'm not going full-on seduction of the innocent here um (laughs) hell yeah but Procon is pro seduction of the innocent. <laughs> uh, seduction of the innocent, for those who don't know, was this um, pamphlet that was put out claiming that comic books, specifically superhero comic books, um, was degenerative to the minds of young boys and would lead them into the sinful lifestyle known as homosexuality at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are not pro that. We are anti that. I mean, it's we basically where that. the comics code <laughs> was created, more or less, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, for yeah. those who don't know, Comics Code was basically similar to like the Hayes Code for film, which basically said you can't do X, Y, and Z. Uh, you can't have sexuality. You can't have like you know ultra bloody violence. The hero always has to win. Stuff like that. Yeah, Comics Code Authority came out in '54, um, so it was definitely after after the, the, the Shadow um, yeah. stories, because because those these pulp stories, specifically the Shadow and like Dick Tracy and things like that, they were really like sleazy. There was this element of. Um, like immorality the shadow himself is is an anti-hero i would say definitely um more so in the stories but even in this movie he's he's not above leveraging people for his own ends Mm -hmm. yeah definitely um yeah i just think like all of these stories like be it a hard-boiled crime story a pulp story an action you know superhero story i feel like they're all like written by incels who write vol cells to justify their incelness? Basically, that's what Batman is. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. <laughs> like so, um, I read the Big Sleep, which I believe is the first okay. um, Philip Marlowe story. 
Um, okay. And if you read like about Raymond Chandler's life, like it's so obvious this dude was like an incel. He's just like, he seems like an ultra loser, just the same way that like Robert Howard or H.P. Lovecraft were like these mm-hmm. ultra losers. I mean, you know, Lovecraft didn't have any kids. He was married for like two years at most, I think. Lovecraft was infamously, um, to put it mildly, terrified of sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> um, about, about as terrified as he was. He, he was afraid of three things primarily. Sex, uh, foreigners, and seafood. And it hmm. shows. Yeah. Just what little I know. I mean, that tracks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, that that that's one of the interesting things about these like like that's the value of like learning about authors lives right like you can, you can kind of discern where these um these contradictions and tensions come from that in, in the case of artists anyway can give rise to some incredible enduring pieces of art um which which isn't to say that it's okay to be terrified and hate uh sex sex foreigners and seafood but that for lovecraft it, it did fortunately create some really enduring things um I think that's kind of like the the theme that we've kept going through Pulp Month, um, like like where like where the origin of these characters and these um, these archetypes and like how, despite coming from and being problematic uh, places, um, they they endure beyond that. Um, if theme months are meant meant to have like a a, a thesis statement. Yeah, no, I think that's accurate. Um, I although I don't really know much about Walter B. Gibson, I don't know that much about Edgar Rice Burroughs either. But, um, mm. I mean, you know, you can kind of figure out the pathologies of those characters based on, <laughs> you know, the works they've created. So, uh, do your own research, folks. I'm sure these people were uh, very normal. <laughs> uh, checking out Walter B. Gibson's Wikipedia page briefly. Um, apparently, he wrote more than 300 novel-length shadow stories. Damn. Writing up to ten thousand words a day to satisfy public demand. I did a little bit of research before, and I know he wrote books about like numerology, and I think he was actually he, a magician. <laughs> pen name um, or occupation: author and magician, <laughs> which explains a lot. <laughs> Incredible. He might be the most wholesome out of all these guys. Then, yeah, he actually he only died in um, eighty five too, which Damn. is wow. pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, that's that is pretty wild. Hmm. He was born in 1897, died in 85, 1985. Damn. Jesus. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, folks, if you know anything problematic about Walter B. Gibson, do not tell me anything at all. Uh, He is my grandfather. I love him. Bye. (laughs) We will will adhere to the Lovecraft maxim that ignorance is is a good force and that we don't (laughs) want this cursed knowledge. Uh, there right, we so go. back to the shadow back to this um, movie I, I don't know why we're doing this digression we like this movie yeah yeah no i mean it but it, it's interesting it adds to the movie um so i guess to to bring us back up to speed with the plot um shua khan has ian mckellen under his mind control building an atomic bomb um he has tim curry's character as a as a flunky a willing a willing ally and, um, right, yeah, that's the interesting Shad- thing about it, that Tim Curry's character, no mind control at all. He's just like, mm-hmm. hey, I, I don't like this guy anyway. I've been stealing his ideas forever. I also want right. power. I'm a psychopath, so right. I'll help you out. Yeah, he and Shadow tracks Tim Curry down to some scientific building. It's like a gigantic sphere, spherical room. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, the, the water And Tim tank. Curry traps him in there. And he, yeah, he, he kind of throws together like this ad hoc death trap um, because 
he starts flooding the room and shadow in kind of a fail sign moment even though he's invisible he steps into the water which makes him which gives away his position and tim curry's able to shoot him yeah i think he shoots him like the shoulder um and then this is where um margot lane comes in and um Mm -hmm. you know it's pretty obvious here that she's kind of like more of an equal partner uh, like crime finding Mm -hmm. partner um because uh the shadow uses his um telekinesis to talk with margot um and he's like hey come help me and uh so she drives over and um she opens the door because tim curry had like put like a pipe outside the door so it couldn't be opened uh from the inside either um he he did put several bullet holes in the wall so um shadow is able to survive um because the the whole thing's filled up with water at this point by um breathing through the bullet holes and it it looks like alec baldwin is is going down on a glory hole i think (laughs) (laughs) he puts his lips up against this hole in the wall yeah and then it cuts to the outside and we it's just like this two second shot of the hole on of the bullet hole on the outside of the structure and um we don't see anything but we hear like yeah we hear like a sucking sucking noise (laughs) it was so strange i mean besides it obviously looked like a glory hole it's also i don't think like i don't think that would work scientifically but whatever it's a pulp movie what would oh you mean like breathing yeah like breathing through a hole that water's coming out of i don't think it would work that way yeah i i don't know it's it's very it's like how batman would survive a joker death trap oh yeah exactly to get through Mm -hmm. yeah right like uh yeah something in adam west batman where like uh when he's in like the chinese water trap you know he he survives by doing what the multiplication tables or something like that (laughs) yes i love that i love this shit so much it's like (laughs) like there, there, oh god there was one thing from one of the stories i remember um one of one of the shadows many hidden bases is like swarmed by the mob and um he's the only one there but there's like too many mob people so like he's like oh how am i gonna survive um so to hide from the mob um he he pulls out one of his filing cabinets that has like his records and it's a trick filing cabinet and he hides inside of it um <laughs> and then like they they bust up the place and they like throw a hand grenade and it blows up but he survives because he was hiding inside of his 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 gimmick trick filing cabinet. Which I was, <laughs> I was like, that's okay. That, that I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's some big Batman like yeah, golden age Batman energy right there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think this is kind of where um, the climax. Well, the, right? there there is this... one other notable scene. Um, Shadow stalks one of Shua Khan's henchmen, and he he surprises Shua Khan in a Chinese restaurant. Um, right, yeah, during like Chinese with New Year or something. Like they have like there's like fireworks going off and everything. Yeah, and I thought this was kind of cool. Like he, he at this point Shua Khan he's wearing like a suit, so he, but he's eating with his hands like a like a barbarian, like they call him a barbarian. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So like contrasting his savage nature with like his his polished appearance that, that there was like a nice little contrast going on and they don't harp upon it too much so it was like nice and subtle yeah and earlier when they were in the shadows hideout he points to the shadows tie and he's like oh that's a nice tie and and uh, yes. the shadow's like oh brooks brothers uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then in this scene 
the shadow points tie. to uh, um, yeah, Shiro Khan's tie, and he's like, oh, where'd you get that? And he's like, oh, Brooks Brothers. <laughs> yes. Um, another thing that they set up a lot with Shiro Khan is that there's a lot of imagery um, with him in, in like light as opposed to shadow. Right. Which I thought was really cool. Um, he's often seen with mirrors or with windows or glass of some sort. Yeah. Um, of course, which reflect and let light through. Um, which is a very direct and obvious contrast to the shadow because he's always in shadow. Um, it was just it was just very interesting, like the idea that the bad guy is this avatar of of light and the the good guy is the avatar of darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he's gonna explode a gigantic bomb that would create yep. light. Mm-hmm. There you go. I folks. didn't even think of that. That's re- that's really good. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just nice. thought of that this exact second. <laughs> And again, that that's a little bit of a reach, like where I kind of, um, I don't know how much of that was intended by the, the screenwriter. Although the screenwriter is David Cope. Yeah, David who, Cope. Um, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he he's good at what he does. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't put it past him to have put that little bit of, that little nugget in the story for people to, for people to find. Yeah, for sure. And so I read a little bit about the production of this film, um, there were a few different drafts of the screenplay. David Cope wasn't, he didn't really know what to do with this character. Um, so his idea was that, okay, the, the shadow, um, you know, he, he has this, this, this backstory as demons to deal with. So let's throw at him basically his own like dark reflection, um, Mm -hmm. as, as the antagonist. Um, so, you know, basically Shua Khan is, is the shadow's own demons um incarnate more or less you know they they both yeah. are trained by the same guy um they 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 both like were you know murderous you know villains mm-hmm. um but uh, the shadow's trying to go straight so i i wouldn't That's put a- it past cope to like you know also um you know kind of uh, subvert it by having shiro khan be represented by light right and and that's a fairly common pulp um trope i guess the idea that the the hero and the villain are both outcasts from society it's just um which of course found its way to comic book comic book movies and stories right. um the idea that the the hero is as much an outcast but he he leverages that into doing good as opposed to the villain who who lets his resentments um overcome him mm-hmm. and i will say for a movie that is basically about kind of like a um a doppelganger villain I think like Shiwa Khan is more interesting than most, you know. Definitely. Like, if you think about um, a movie we recently MCU. did, MCU. <laughs> well, MCU, I, MCU as well. But I think like Spider-Man Three, like Venom is is fairly boring. Just like the concept of Venom generally is boring, um, yep. unless he's given his own movie, then he's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. Awesome. <laughs> but even the doppelganger, actually, that's one of the better doppelgangers as well. Riot in the Venom movie, he's a pretty decent like doppelganger mm-hmm. character um yeah yeah but yeah the mcu is full of like dumb dumb doppelgangers i mean that seems like all they can do i mean like uh black panther and golden uh panther or whatever that ca- golden jaguar you know killmonger's yeah. character and, and i'm thinking things like the iron man villains are just people are bad are just douchebags wearing iron man suits right like, the first two there, yeah there are good ways to do it and, and there are not so good ways to do the the dark counterpart um and I, I think the shadow, the shadow and Shuikan are, are a more interesting contrast because there are points of contrasts 
there there are points of contrast between them in addition to the dark reflections right exactly i think the worst doppelganger comic book film villain i can think of is in logan i don't know did you see logan I didn't know. Actually, yeah, I haven't seen Logan. Okay, so the villain of that film is literally mm. a clone of Wolverine who looks like a younger Wolverine. <laughs> is it played by Hugh Jackman? Yes. Nice. Yes. He just like wears black and he's younger and that's it. That's on the nose. And I he's guess. like more of like kind of the so berserker rage Wolverine as opposed to right. like, you know, this Wolverine who can't even um, regenerate anymore, but it's so right. boring. It's, I couldn't that's believe that that's what they were going to do though. It was, it was so bad. <laughs> Damn. But the real reason I mentioned this whole scene, aside from all that floofy thematic and deeper meaning stuff <laughs> is because when Shiwa Khan and Shadow try to shoot each other, their bullets collide in midair. Hell yeah. Which was yeah. dope as hell. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a few scenes of like things flying through the air, like the coin earlier, um, the bronze coin, the anthropomorphic knife, the anthropomorphic knife, um, the 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 bullets. It's it's something that Sam Raimi does a lot actually in his films, mm. where he has like projectile that you follow, um, you know, using like either a, a sped up steady cam shot or like um, some kind of you know, wire shot where you like, you know, th- you have a camera on a wire and you're just like throwing this camera. Um, right. But yeah, I was, it's, um, and that's why it's so interesting that he didn't do this movie, you know, and like he does dark man mm-hmm. instead. I mean, there's, it, this would have been, I mean, the perfect movie for him, but you know, yeah. I, I'm fine with what we have. I mean, Russell McCauley, like he did an amazing job. Yes. And, as things worked out, not much later, not not too much later than this, Raimi did Spider-Man, um, which I, I think we're all thankful for. Um, there are there's another uh, interesting f- uh, film thing that we see that we actually mentioned on the show before. There are a couple um, split diopter shots. Yeah, that's right. I think there's about two that I can think of at least. Um, there's one on the bridge. Yep. The the Manhattan Bridge or Brooklyn Bridge. In McKellen's lab. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we get these split diopter shots, um, funny enough, actual connection to Brian De Palma here, the cinematographer of this film, Stephen H. Burham, worked with De Palma on eight films, including Damn. Snake Eyes, Mission Impossible, and Body Double, which uh, that's actually one of my favorite Brian De Palmas. Uh, I think people like it Hell too yeah. much, so we can't do it on this uh, podcast, but... Um, sure. There's a ton more Brian De Palma. We could do a whole Brian De Palma month, honestly. Okay, I'm going to do some more patented uh, pro-con re- live-action research here. Um, I'm going to look up the Snake Eyes film because I would love to watch that movie again. I think it was poorly received. <laughs> we might have to do, <laughs> do Snake Eyes. Uh, came out in 98, um, starring Nicolas Cage, of course, in, in an amazing role. Um, 40% Rotten Tomato scores. We're doing fucking Hell Snake yeah. Eyes. That's so good. <laughs> of course people people are people are stupid and insane and, and so wrong but um we're, we're gonna do snake eyes so to get back to this current movie that we're doing that we actually do like and we should stop getting distracted from <laughs> um all of this culminates in shiwa khan's hideout because he had done the old master's trick of mass hypnotizing everyone in new york city to not notice a giant building that he owns yeah, that was cool. Um, the monolith. Yeah, which is great name again. That, that's some. That's some. 
there there's probably a monolith hotel somewhere in gotham city that's just perfect naming yeah yeah for sure um very like art deco uh looking mm-hmm. building um i mean the whole film has an art deco look to it it's um you know it's naturally uh, yeah early 30s i think this film takes place and there they do say that the there's a title card when they get to manhattan i don't remember it though what the actual year was there, uh there is a seven year time gap um oh, that's wikipedia right. doesn't mention a name mm. um all it says is in the beginning in tibet following the first world war um so i'm guessing seven years after that but has to be at least 1930 yeah i don't know yeah somewhere in the, i i think the film takes place somewhere in the 30s i, I don't think it's the 40s because i don't think like world war ii happened basically i, I don't think right, that's happened right. yet so because he well they mentioned the atomic bomb as if like a oh this thing doesn't exist yet so obviously world war ii hasn't happened yet and the police commissioner uh mentions eleanor roosevelt right right yes yeah. yes if the shadow is real then i'm eleanor roosevelt <laughs> um yeah so now this is the uh the climax of the film the um yep. the sequence in the actual hotel um we start with uh tim curry's character actually um silicon like gives him a tommy gun and he's like go kill the shadow they hear the shadows like laugh uh and he's like all right uh farley claymore that's tim curry's character's name he's like yeah go go kill him and he's like wait me uh, okay yeah i think that was that was a minor screenwriting quibble that that kind of kind of bugged me um because shiwa khan wanted tim curry around to be a doc to be a physicist um so he could make more bombs after he kills ian mckellen because he doesn't want ian mckellen around um so like why would shiwa khan send out his valuable resource the guy who can make atomic bombs to go do dirty work and possibly be killed right yeah because he wants to plant more bombs in like every major city across the globe yeah that is strange didn't I think, think I about think, that i think if i was doing an edit i would say like tim curry's character tries to run away out of cowardice or something right yeah i think that makes more sense um but yeah so tim curry goes into like i don't know it's like the ballroom or the lobby of the hotel and he yeah, the tra- lobby. yeah he tries to find the shadow but of course the shadow's in the shadows uh so we can't mm-hmm. find him he's just shooting the tommy gun wildly um that's a great little scene yeah it's tim curry just laughing maniacally because he hears the shadow laugh and he matches him in, in laughter right and he's just spinning around dropping bullet casings as he as he fires the tommy gun cackling like a, a madman yeah and i actually thought like because he was firing towards the ceiling and he was going in a circle like i thought that the chandelier above him was gonna fall on him because he like that shot around so cool. it um yes. but i i also like the way he dies um so he's he's like manic he's like he's sweating profusely and yeah. um the shadow does mind control on him and he's like oh you can leave now uh claymore there's the exit and um, he changes like the um, kind of like the stained glass on a, a window um, mm-hmm. to say the word exit. Um, yes. And then Claymore uh, jumps through what he thinks is like an exit door, and but it's actually a window, and he he right. falls like three stories to his death. Yeah. No, that that was that was really cool. That that was very shadowy. Um, that that was like the that's like the good antihero stuff, like letting villains trick themselves into killing themselves by 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 an act of their own flaws that was that was yeah. good stuff yeah it's pretty cool um yeah so then from here um shadow and suicon um have their showdown um is this where they have like the mirror room sequence not yet okay. Th- this is when 
Shadow steps into Shuikan's like throne room and Shuikan presses a button on his throne and the floor that he's standing on becomes like a, a topsy turvy Oh yeah, yeah. That's um, right. like platform and like 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 it has like a ball joint in the middle underneath the floor. Right. And so it just roll it rolls him around and he can't really get good footing. Yeah, that was cool. Um also speaking of the floor in his throne room, earlier there's a shot yes that it just looks like a pattern and it's the pattern on the actual floor i thought it was like a wall i couldn't tell what was going on but um all of a sudden like the camera pans down and we see that it's it is the floor pattern but the floor pattern and siwa khan's like long flowy robes are basically the same um and then he gets up and does some stuff with his ninjas but it was pretty cool that shot was incredible um Again, I, I don't care. We're just going full anti-MCU in this episode. <laughs> you would never find something that batshit. Something that batshit would not get past Marvel's quality control. No, I mean, any of the stuff that happens in, in this section of the film would not happen in an MCU film. I mean, the like the, the mirror um, room sequence I mentioned, like, it's just... It is one of the best mirror sequences uh, that we've had in this pulp month. Oddly enough, it is the mm-hmm. third one. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, it is. And it's like the mirrors are just like exploding and like they're all cracked. and st- It's just like, it's so hard to explain. You just have to go see it. Oh, shit. Celeste. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Celeste just knocked my... my um, the Procon official mascot has joined us right now. Um, <laughs> Louis's little cat Celeste, who's very cute and I see in Skype window. Um, yeah, she is rubbing her face against the microphone as we speak. Yeah, she's saying she's saying hello. So Shadow and Shuakan have their showdown. Shuakan whips out the knife, the the screaming like petulant toddler knife. Um, he can control it. He tries to make it. He tries to make Shadow stab himself, but Shadow overcomes it because like he relaxes and he he doesn't try to control it through brute mental force. I think is the idea. Uh, that's possibly the idea. Uh, give me a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> folks lewis is um he's he's doing some cat control right now um well you know unlike um ace the bat hound um the shadow does not have a uh pet (laughs) so yeah um shadow he he learns how to control the dagger yeah like i think the idea was he he just doesn't try to brute force it like i was saying um he he learns to like just let it be natural and 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 not have to not have to he doesn't try to dominate the dagger he tries to like use it as a as a partner i guess is the idea right right yeah so then he gets to um control it and uh, it stabs uh shua khan in the like abdomen and then this is the mirror sequence part no not yet really going too fast because the the illusion around the around um the hotel falls and everyone can come inside like the police and margot and her doc and her her doctor father um and shadow chases shuakan and at, and then as he's chasing shuakan margo and margo and ian mckellen try to disarm the bomb but because they're <laughs> they, they they drop it and it rolls away from them and they chase it through the oh, they yeah, chase it through the, the, the hotel <laughs> um and this is where the the color blindness thing comes into play because Ian McKellen's like, oh, is it red or green? Is it red or green? Oh, it's usually the green one, and he cuts the red one. But fortunately, he was wrong, and he cut the right wire. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back to Shuikan and, and Shadow having their mind palace mirror 
mirror image um, mental duel thing. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the mirrors at one point start exploding, and then uh, the shadow is able to control a shard of the mirror, and he shoots it right into uh, Shuokan's head, and hell yeah, ostensibly kills him. But we, we'll come back to that in a few seconds. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we can do. We can just get to that now because yeah. obviously the bomb is diffused. Right. Um, it's the end of the movie. Yeah. We cut to Shuokan and um in a mental institution um and he had been lobotomized the the psychic or the psychic part of his yeah. brain had been removed <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor is one of the shadows agents because he has a ring too yes that's right yeah and then um as he closes the cell door uh Shiro khan's yelling i'm genghis khan i'm genghis khan and then like all the other inmates are yelling like oh i'm, I'm eleanor roosevelt i'm this person i'm <laughs> Yes, Babe I'm, Ruth. I'm Henry VIII. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was sorry, that, that was very much bad. That was like Arkham. Yeah. It was, it was oh, very yeah. it was very mm-hmm. good. Um it looked a lot like the um asylum set that is in the film In the Mouth of Madness. Uh mm. speaking of Hell uh, yeah. uh HP Lovecraft, the uh John Carpenter HP Lovecraft film. Yeah, that um that's an actual good movie that we can't do for this no, show. Yeah. Um, some somewhat unfortunately, but like everyone should go see it. It's hey, this is actually a good recommendation for for Pulp Month. Um, I I haven't seen too many adaptations of Lovecraft's work, but that in the Mouth of Madness, it isn't a direct Lovecraft story, but it takes elements from Lovecraft, and it's by far the best adaptation of Lovecraft material I've ever seen. Yeah, I I mean I don't know much about Lovecraft, but it's pretty great. Um, it's a pretty mm-hmm. great movie. Um, yeah, I mean, we can maybe do a Lovecraft month eventually. I think there are enough adaptations that mm-hmm. suck. There are. Um, yeah. There's like, I think we had mentioned previously, like Reanimator and Dagon, which Stuart Dagon Gordon one, yeah. uh, directed, and um, those are beloved. Actually, and Stuart, Stuart Gordon did another one called like um, The Castle or something. It's mm. like a monster in a castle. I don't know. Stuart Gordon loved okay. adapting H.P. Lovecraft, apparently. He, he did at least like three or four. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, for sure, The Mouth of Madness would not be in that month because it's good. Everyone should go see it. So yeah, um, the movie kind of just ends. Like, uh, sh- Well, it doesn't just end. It has like a well, well-shaped conclusion, I guess. Um, Margot and the Shadow are our partners implied to be romantic and crime-fighting. And the shadow walks off down an alley and into the into the shadows. Yep, yep, uh, and that's it. Um, yeah, I mean this movie's great. I think it's um, mm-hmm. like top five that we've watched for this podcast for me. Like, um, it's up there with Return of Swamp Thing in terms of just like really zany, fun, um, but also smart. So yeah, mm-hmm. check it out, folks. I don't know if I'd put it top five, but it's definitely top ten for sure. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, workers of note, um, the as we mentioned, you know, the cinematographer uh, Steve Burham, um, he does a lot of like dolly shots and Steadicam stuff. So, I wanted to highlight um, three of the Steadicam operators. There's Marco Kane, um, Ro- Robert E. Stewart, who is the um, first assistant uh, Steadicam operator. And then Joseph Costco Jr., the uh, second assistant city cam operator. Um, yeah, just, I mean, just 
great use of Steadicam stuff. Um, and also, when it's not Steadicam, there's a lot of dolly shots. Um, so I want to highlight the uh, dolly grip, uh, Carlos M. Gallardo. And just to to be to clarify, a grip is someone who would actually be holding, gripping, u- using the this equipment. Um. So yeah, I mean, they would the grip would like put together like the dolly grip would most likely put together like the dolly. So okay. um, dolly shots are like you lay a track out, a um, metal yep. track, and then you put a dolly, you know, like a, a thing with wheels or that just latches onto the track and then that moves you forward or backwards or sideways. Sure. Um, really depends on the movement. Um, so the dolly grip would most likely put that together and they also might be the person who moves it. So like the camera, there would be a camera operator and then the dolly grip um, could, yeah, I guess could be the person gripping the dolly and, and moving it in whichever direction. Sure. Uh, we also have an uncredited uh, worker here that we want to recognize, uh, Wayne Baker, um, who is an underwater assistant camera man, I assume, or it, it, just his his credit is listed as underwater assistant camera. Uh, and that was for the, the death trap scene um, where Alec Baldwin survives with the with the glory hole. Um, <laughs> I can only imagine how, how hard shooting underwater is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, James Cameron famously or infamously made the film Abyss, The Abyss, which is mm-hmm. majority filmed underwater. Um, and they had to create, you know, certain camera rigs to be able to do that. Um, so it's it's got to be incredibly difficult. Um, even for you know the five or six shots they have in this film, I mean that probably took days on end. So kudos, especially for someone who gets uncredited. That's pretty shitty. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and speaking of rigging, we also have um, a whole bunch of rigging grips here to mention: uh, John Dumas, Raymond Michaels, Frank Peterson, Brian Sada, Alfred E. Smithy, um, and Stephen Schultz is the key rigging grip. And also we have someone. Um, Mike J. Campbell Jr., best boy, Rick and Grip. What the hell is a best boy? I have, I don't know, honestly. Like, it's just like yeah, a, it, they're a grip. I don't know. They're just like <laughs> a special type of grip. Apparently, a quick Google search says they're, they're assistants to their department heads. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think key and best boy grip, they're just like a step above your regular grip, more or less. Right. Yeah. Um, so, basically, what everyone from our college did during their internships probably oh, if they did that honestly i mean most yeah. of them i think were probably production assistants pas who like got people coffee yep. honestly yep. um or just yep. like checked the schedule and said like oh yeah people here today there's people who aren't here today <laughs> like stuff like that yes. i mean maybe some people went on to be grips like five six years later but not right away it doesn't happen often so we know a bunch of second best boys <laughs> yeah <laughs> or worst worst boys <laughs> We definitely know those that's for sure um but yeah kudos to all them i mean there's a lot of like really intricate camera movements um in this film so the the rigs to mm-hmm. do that stuff um it's just very time consuming and you have to be re- very talented at what you do um so yeah kudos especially that overhead shiwakan shot that that really yeah. stuck with me yeah yeah that's probably a crane shot i'd imagine so yeah these guys would have been you know rigging that crane yeah. up um so yeah closing thoughts who would you recommend uh, this film to nick um my whole incel volso theory um young weirdo nerds who uh like genre stuff like i did who um who like stealthy movies and who like 
weirdo crime fighters with like gothic aesthetics um so any anybody that i'm describing there but also has mcu burnout um this would definitely <laughs> be one this this will this will become your cult favorite movie probably your 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 cult favorite superhero movie probably yeah i can see that um just you know have an open mind um there's yeah. some more like zany kind of cheesy stuff but i don't know like at this point i kind of welcome that as opposed to like the self-serious oh, bullshit yeah. that we see a lot um nowadays you know even though like the mcu yeah. like yeah it has like these cheeky references and jokes here and there i don't know like in the long run like you're supposed to take this shit at face value and it's just stupid yeah it, it's it's like big bang theory cheekiness with like that's the point we're approaching with marvel i think yeah i think so uh, speaking of Marvel, my woke recommendation is if you want to see a movie that has um, Asian actors or Asian roles played by Asian actors um, mm-hmm. in generally not racist roles um, yep. as compared to the MCU films, which, um, you know, hired Tilda Swinton for, um, you know, the the wise oh, man right, character the, an- the ancient one yeah whatever that the ancient be. one <laughs> which you know like granted like yeah is that character perfect as it is in the comic books as like this you know asian mystic character no but i mean hiring tilda swinton and saying it's a, a celtic you know uh ancient one is fucking stupid um yeah that was done. I, I do like dr strange it's one of the better mcu movies in my opinion but that was just a weird like a very bizarre choice yeah yeah so um if you want to see asian roles played by asian actors um this movie has more than probably every mcu film um mcu tv like netflix um has more asian people in it but um mm-hmm. not a lot yeah the the character that the shadow saves at the beginning of the physicist is played by Seb Shimono. Um, that character didn't have to be Asian, um, but he is. And it's just like, it, it doesn't tie into the Asian villain. It just like is a character that was a person of color that didn't have to be. So that was, that was kind of neat to see. Yeah. It's actually interesting that like he never has to like explain Asian stuff to the yeah, shadow. No, like exactly. Besides, I exactly. guess like the, the coin, but like, the shadow knows about the coin stuff like he's like oh yes the thing that connects the universe blah 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 yeah and and that was presented as like describing the coin's history it wasn't like because he's asian he knows that it's right. because he's a physicist he knows that right exactly yeah so that was kind of interesting he doesn't like go into like the history of genghis khan at any point yes. uh- <laughs> my uncle genghis khan <laughs> Um, we we did forget one um, actor really quick, sir, and I, I know we're kind of breaking the format here, but um, Frank Welker, who's a very prolific voice actor, um, he voiced Fred in Scooby Doo on Scooby Doo. Oh yeah, <laughs> he did the voice of the knife. Oh damn, nice. He did the voice of the knife was called Furba. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. It's just like a bunch of screeching. That just, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> He's good at doing screeching. Hmm. Uh, I guess my final bespoke recommendation would be for um, anyone who likes Pulp Heroes, who likes this genre stuff, like I was describing for my broke recommendation, um, but is also interested in leftist politics because, like we kind of got into at the beginning of this episode, it's definitely not, the Shadow is definitely not a leftist character, but the case could be made that his approach to genre um, urban crime fighting is more of a leftist communal project than someone like um 
Dick Tracy or the Phantom or other or, or the Death Wish characters or the Punisher or something. Um, so yeah, that th- this character and and this way of writing this genre story, um, it's certainly more sympathetic to my politics, and I, I appreciated that angle. Um, and it's also why I believe Batman should always have a whole team of 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 heroes fighting alongside him, and that's why he and that's one of the reasons he's better um, with a whole team of heroes. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, and just generally like when batman is like less of a dick he's better yes um there's that when he's more of a bruce and less of a dick yeah uh (laughs) well actually no when he's dick it's better because uh yes that that grant morrison (laughs) comic where um dick grayson actually takes over for batman and and damian Mm -hmm. wayne is robin um, like when he's the dick yeah everybody loves him like everybody loves batman in their moment they're like you're shorter but you're so much nicer to everybody <laughs> yeah I, I was just going for the easy word play but yeah I, ironically i guess dick grayson is is not a dick batman yeah yeah mm-hmm. check out that run i think it's just called batman and robin by um grant morrison i think it's like maybe three volumes you know 12 to 15 issues total so basically superheroes which have been argued to be like a fascist concept or like an authoritarian concept or like a libertarian concept. Um, one way, one of the ways you can t- kind of sand off those unsavory edges is to have them be teams. Um, and I, I, I think that works better just for the writing. You can get a lot more out of it. I think um, it's goofier, which, which is better for the, the concept inherently. Um, so yeah, for team t- going to go into the 2020s uh batman needs to be a team player that's my assessment of yeah him. although i only push back on that and say some of the like cw uh superheroes that are all parts of teams maybe don't have to be uh like the flash yes. doesn't need a team i don't think green arrow really needs a team i think green arrow is really cool if he does like team ups um, you know the yes. classic like green green arrow green lantern team up um, if he does mm-hmm. one-off team ups in general like i think that's really you know interesting dynamics well i guess to make it more broadly applicable to leftism like being part of a community doesn't mean you have to do everything communally it, it just means like you, you you recognize that you're as much as you're an individual you're also part of a, a broader a broader group and that's inextricable from who you are right and that's why the justice league is one of the best movies yes. we've ever reviewed <laughs> yes that is true folks um so now it is to announce that we're doing comic book month next month (laughs) we're not we're we're not doing theme month for a little while but i would certainly not be opposed to doing another although we said that like what three months ago and here we are (laughs) yeah um so yeah that that wraps up pulp month i guess that's that's a good note to wrap up pulp month on yeah I think with the shadow and um, definitely our bonus episode, Conan the Destroyer, um, Pulp mm-hmm. Month has kind of redeemed itself. Uh, you know, of course, Phantom of the Opera is, is great as well, but the um, in the middle there with the 2011 Conan and and beginning with Tarzan, um, it it was Ugh, yeah. it's a roller coaster to say the least. Um, yeah, but I'm yeah. glad we ended on the shadow. Um, shout out to my friend Keith um he uh he had a bunch of dvds he got from his uh, mom's house that were his when he was uh, a teenager and i was looking through <laughs> them a few months ago pulled out the shadow and i was like i bet no one likes this movie uh <laughs> and lo and behold, and lo and behold so shout out keith thanks good job keith thank you that i i do appreciate this this 
gem that we that you unearthed. Yeah. Uh, another one for our uh, uncut gems, uh, Procon, because there's there's gems in their uh, in their rings. In their rings, yeah, yeah. for sure. So yeah, folks, uh, we'll see you next time. Um, I think kind of a return to normal scattershot choices for for our episodes, which hasn't really steered us wrong in the past too many times. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so look forward to just um, you know some weirdo choices coming up. Um, I think we have some guests lined up as well. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we will see you then on the uh, on the next page of this journey. Who knows what weirdness lies in the hearts of movies? <laughs> Procon knows. <laughs>